Hey, before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank everybody who's been listening to Adventures in Venueland. Here we are, episode number 25. And that doesn't even count some of our detours and side trips we've taken. Paul, it's been uh, quite an adventure so far. It's pretty wild. I think, of course, when we started this, we hoped that it would last for a while, but it's one of those things, just like any show or, you know, when you're working on shows in the industry, right, you're kind of like on to the next one, on to the next one. And then whenever you have a minute to think back and think, oh, my gosh, we worked on all these concerts. It's kind of the same thing with this podcast where we're looking back and we're like 25. And then if you count the bonus, it's 30. And it's just hard to imagine that we've had the opportunity and really privilege, honestly, to talk to so many people and learn about their stories, learn about some people that we've known and others that we haven't. And I think it's been incredible. And the response has been amazing. I've loved hearing what people have to say. Uh, people who are brand new to the industry, uh, who are using it as almost like their their textbook entry into the uh, the whole universe of live events. And then people that have been, you know, in the industry forever, catching up with friends and like listening into people's stories. And, and Paul, what's really blown me away is the response, not just from here in the States, but also around the world. Yeah, we've got like basically a heat map that we can see from where people are listening. And we're seeing people from all over Europe, Asia. There's this big contingency in India, which is kind of wild. They've actually, as of right now, overtaking Canada as our... Uh, second highest country. So Canada, you need to step up. But uh, it's been amazing. And I think it also just shows how universal this industry is and love for live entertainment. You know, it really is not uh, pinned down to just the States. It's really an international industry. Well, we have a great episode lined up for you for episode number 25. Shani Tate Ross is one of my favorite people in this business, and, and she's got a lot of great wisdom to share. And we have a lot of great stuff planned, but if you ever have an idea, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you on a future episode. And with that said, let's go ahead and kick things off for episode 25 of Adventures in Venueland. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. And our adventure today takes us to Kansas City, where we're talking with Shani Tate-Ross. She's the VP of Sales and Marketing for T-Mobile Center uh, there in Kansas City. Uh, we were just talking off air. How are you doing is a dangerous question these days. It certainly is. So uh, it's either amazing or on the edge, somewhere between those two. You were saying it's kind of like we're, we're being expected to run a marathon, uh, with uh, little to no training right now. Absolutely. Little to no training while in your jammies, um, just getting up off the couch. So part of it is getting your sea legs under you again. And the other part too, is certainly making sure that um, just because we've always done it that way, we don't have to run right back into doing it that exact same way. You know, it's so true because it's one of those things where we had all that downtime 
right? And we all talked about how, you know, well, things are going to be different. What a great chance to reevaluate this industry. And I'm still getting emails at nine o'clock at night saying, hey, that show art for tomorrow's 7 a.m. announce is still coming. Right. And then it doesn't, and then it doesn't come until right? 20 minutes after the announce. <laughs> and we're all making this up. And, and then there's an email from a 19-year-old in Poughkeepsie who says your uh, Facebook event page has the wrong art, you know, attached to it. <laughs> we're trying to deal with all that where if we just, we the show we'd been known for coming, it's been coming for months. Can you tell I'm triggered right now? It's just, it's a, it's no, and, and, and I feel like we should let you, you, let you vent for a second, Dave. I mean, I feel like it's important for us to not only listen, but certainly have the opportunity to share. I think too, even during normal times, if you've had this many events going on sale all at once and everything is kind of popping up, it would have been crazy if there wasn't this downtime. And then if everyone was at their peak game, it would still be crazy. But then like we just talked about is, you know, people not saying people aren't at their peak game, but we all have come out of this year and a half of such a different time and such a different pace. Mm -hmm. So it's ramping up to not only what it was, but just way more than it ever was. And I think another part of that too, Paul, just to layer on is that people want to be at their best, right? You would like to give as much as you can to every single show, event, and promoter. And unfortunately, we just don't have that luxury at this particular time, whether it's due to staffing or resources or, or just sheer timing. So, you know, it's a different pace, but it's also very important for us to pay attention to what has happened over the past 18 months, certainly what's going on in terms of uh, current events, and then how we're going to look towards the future and what changes that are sustainable that we can make, um, not only to our particular venues, our particular jobs, but certainly to the industry as a whole. Are you seeing things like, you know, is, is your Monday morning every week feel like it's just you're trying to balance all the show announces for the week? And it, it feels like I'm having trouble getting ahead because we're so busy, you know, just, just catching up with what's new each week. In Kansas City, we say every day is a Wednesday. So there's oh, no like such this. There's no such this. thing as a weekend, right? So um, <laughs> you can look towards the weekend, you can reflect on the weekend, but every day is a Wednesday until we get into uh, our groove. Whether it's a show announcement or any other type of, you know, everyone in this industry certainly is um, an overachiever, um, not necessarily type A, but really has a lot of pride in what they do and they have a standard of excellence, right? And in order to have that standard of excellence, you have to be able to work at a pace that is comfortable for you and certainly has an, an element of balancing your work and life obligations, right? And when you don't have the information and it's, you know, it's a domino effect. So what can you do to kind of get ahead? And the answer is nothing. Once you mentally become okay that for a while, we're not going to be getting ahead um, and it, success is going to be redefined. So that's what we're looking to do. Count the small W's. Um, certainly they are all wins and uh, eventually we will get to a point, certainly as shows play off and tours announce and we reemerge um, from our COVID reality in a different place, but certainly in a more successful place and hopefully a more deliberate place without this incidental uh, contact or this um and certainly being able to, to handle change in a different way in perspective. Do we think that maybe to ask a little bit of a deeper question that not only are we not in a better place than we were, but is this potentially a worse place than we were pre-pandemic? More so, let me clarify that on like a work-life balance perspective. So I think the industry obviously is rearing back, which that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. But I think 
we all hit on this earlier is everyone is trying to make the industry better than it ever was and really use that that time that was given to us that no one wanted but Mm -hmm. that we had and how do we use this time to reflect and make things better and I think a lot of people hopefully had a little bit of like a big reflection over the last year and what's important to them, where are their priorities, not only in their work life, but in their personal life. Mm-hmm. But then now that things have come back, I think maybe people were so excited and eager for those first show returns. Like we all know, we see it um, on our Facebook pages. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen, it's a beautiful thing. It brings a tear to my eye, but over the last two or three weeks, everyone has posted that post. That's like our first show in 700 days, 400 days for whatever it is. Right. And it's so amazing. But is that kind of blinding us to some of this intensity that is coming in that maybe is working us longer and harder hours? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, and I might be um, Pollyanna glass half full. And let me tell you why. Um, I think if everyone would take a moment to reflect and pause on how people deal with and how people have uh, dealt with or not dealt with the pandemic, right? And the impacts of COVID and the long reaching impacts, not only personally, like you said, but in our, our work lives as well. Understanding how people cope with grief and change is so important um, to what we do. And also too, where it translates to the work environment is we're seeing no show rates, right? People aren't comfortable uh, with safety right. precautions or uh, wellness initiatives, regardless of vaccination status or proof of vaccination status or proof of testing. And part of it too is a lot of times as marketers or as sales folks, we have a tendency to say, okay, what do we want to say? Rather than what do people want to hear? What do people need to hear and what's going to help them either make a purchasing decision to either buy a ticket or attend a show that they purchased a ticket for almost two years ago. We have to recognize as an industry, we love it, Um, but priorities have changed. We know how special live entertainment and sports um, can be and is. But we also have to recognize that people's lenses have changed quite a bit over the past 18 months. And it's not good or bad, but it's the reality of what we're dealing with here and now. And like we were talking earlier today too, it's, it's definitely better than the alternative, right? Uh, uh, we all sure. went through some, some crazy stuff, but, but, you know, we're, we're in a place where uh, it's, it's a unique time because there's so many shows and so much happening and every show I'm sure you're getting this, you're getting that call of, Hey, we want to do something really special to make this announce stand out, right? <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that it gets announced. <laughs> You know, again, it goes back to everyone wanting to be excellent and special. And you're like, and here I am. And I took a shower and I comb my hair today. And that's what is going to be special. We are special today. Um, And it's not from a lack of desire. It really is just you have limited resources and limited time in the day. So you want to make sure that whatever you're doing is impactful. Um, I think that. Um, What it does breed is a culture of go with what works. If there are some things in your toolkit, in your toolbox, you go back to, you know, the old trusty and tried and true, but it's not necessarily your best work, but you want to make sure that you're doing it justice along the way. I loved your, your line of counting the small W's. Got it. I I think that's, that's so important because so often we're, we're looking for those, those big, big W's that are so elusive, but there's a lot of small W's every single day. 
Absolutely. And it's it's something that is whether it's building bridges with your other teammates, right? Shared experiences. I think that's one of the things that we lost during the pandemic or we recognized how important and really uh, priceless the shared experience and community can be right? Small, lowercase w's. So, you know, when we're trying to climb up this mountain, sometimes you're only going to get those three steps. Celebrate those three steps because tomorrow you may only get one. And, you know, (laughs) sometimes the celebration is just not taking a step backwards, right? Amen. Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, life is so unpredictable and so short, but you got to recognize and appreciate exactly where you are. And part two of that is you have to be courageous, You know, so yes, we have limited resources and we have limited capacity and time in terms of what we're able to do right now in terms of standard of excellence, but that shouldn't stop you from being courageous. And what I mean by that is asking questions that maybe you wouldn't have asked before. Um, So that it helps you redefine those lowercase W's, those small wins, Um, whether it's building bridges with your operations department or connecting with the promoter or a show or making a difference in the life of a guest. All of those things are wins. Um, everything does not necessarily have to be the biggest, the best, the brightest, but all of those small victories count and they're worthwhile as well. Let's set the table a little bit for folks who, who aren't familiar with T-Mobile Center. Let, tell us a little bit about, about Kansas City, about uh, T-Mobile Center and its place in the, in the, in the community and you know, your role there as, as VP of Sales and Marketing. Sure. So um, Kansas City, Missouri, located in the heart of America. So nice. We named it twice, Kansas City and Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas. T-Mobile Center is located in downtown Kansas City, Missouri. We are um, an anchor to more than $9 billion in redevelopment in Kansas City. The venue opened in October of 2007. So we are coming up on our anniversary. That's another thing due to the pandemic. How old are we? Are we 12? Are we 13? Are we 14? Do we count it? Do we not count it? I know in terms of my personal age, I'm not counting it for my children. We count every day. (laughs) They are eight years old. So um, in the blink of an eye, that has happened. But what is most important in terms of Kansas City, not only in terms of location, certainly we are uh, convenient on North, South, East and West touring routes, but fans and guests in Kansas City are so passionate and knowledgeable about their arts, entertainment, and sporting um, teams and preferences, we really um, benefit from people buying tickets. And when they come here, after they've purchased their tickets, they are loud, they're into it, and they're passionate. So from a diverse booking calendar standpoint, we're proud of that. We're proud to be a part of the community. And that is what sets us apart, in my opinion, is that people buy tickets and they come over and over again. When they get here, they're loud because they recognize and understand how special it is. I remember seeing these videos when soccer, which now I feel like it's it's established here, but when soccer was kind of starting to climb that hill, right. with the World Cup and the and the Olympics, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, where it was getting bigger, mm-hmm. and one of the first cities they were showing where it was exploding was Kansas City, which I think speaks to what you said in this having this rabid fan base, this kind of intense, committed community of fans Mm -hmm. and passionate people, because, you know, they were showing these little watch parties all over the U.S. and they're like, here's, you know, 40 people here, here's 30 (laughs) people here. Oh, and we've got uh, 20,000 in Kansas City. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. At a watch party, which is directly across the street from us in our entertainment district in the Power and Light District. So we find that we have intense corporate and civic support. We have um, for a the 33rd media market, we have 
uh, 8 million people within a four hour driving distance. So whether you're in Columbia, we have people from, you know, Des Moines, Omaha, Oklahoma, Arkansas coming to Kansas City for shows, making a weekend of it. But most importantly, it is about the building as a catalyst. But what else you do while you're here in the city? So we are fortunate to play one small part of that success. Certainly, we have our friends down the road, just literally five miles down the road with the Royals and the Chiefs. Both having won championships recently doesn't hurt. Sporting uh, Kansas City in terms of soccer is the other way. But what's most important, too, is that everyone feels, as far as T-Mobile Center, that the building belongs to them. If there is something that they would like to see. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, whether in October we will have coming up this weekend, Jason Aldean and Mark Anthony. And we'll close out the month um, with Bocelli. Um, which will be the first time he's played our market, certainly. But then um, we're ending with Dude Perfect on Halloween. And we go in, as well as Grupo Ferme is in there as well. So when there's something you would like to see, certainly we have that here in Kansas City. We have basketball, certainly the home of the Big 12 Men's Basketball Championship. We recognize who and what we are and certainly have the power of a fantastic naming rights partner behind us in T-Mobile. So, you know, obviously you talk you know, a lot about Missouri. You've got a lot of pride. Are you are you a Missouri native? I'm a Missouri native living in Kansas. OK, there you go. All right. There. So, and yes. You- so I grew up in Missouri. Um, I went to the University of Missouri. Um, go Tigers. And we uh, moved to Kansas uh, when um, I was in college. So I am. What is it? A house divided? I'm yeah, a person right, divided, yes, I guess. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the what was the moment, you know, was it in college or, or what what kind of, you know, piqued your interest in the live event industry? What was your what was your entry into this field? OK, Dave. So I I know you may or may not have heard this story when we're together, but I don't know if I had great parents or awful parents. But my first show was when I was four years old at what is now what was then called the Rosemont Horizon. And I saw my first show um, and it was Diana Ross. And the Jacksons opened up. And so I've had the bug for a really, really long time. So I hope no one goes to goes online to find out the year and date of that show. But I know it was kindergarten for me. And um, ever since then, you know, I've had um, an amazing amount of experiences with live entertainment. I guess I recognized early on the power of community because I felt like for a while I was, or I guess I still am to a certain degree, my father's son. So whether it was the Globetrotters <laughs> or, you know, when the Royals won the world series, we lived in Chicago for a period going to Rosemont horizon. So I firmly remember the bears. I'm in the super bowl shuffle. Yes. Um, the Cubs who didn't grow up with Bozo um, on WGN. Bozo the clown. There you go. Yeah. Right. So I've always had a love for sports and entertainment and recognize the power of community that it builds. Certainly. And a lot of just that it builds, you know, when I look around, uh, we had Kane Brown in September. I didn't see a lot of division that I see on television or a lot of things that are, I see a lot of people united, certainly uh, in a desire that can only be brought together by music and live entertainment. So I've had it for a while. My first official job after working for the University of Missouri um, in a variety of capacities in um, the athletic department. I worked for the Royals for seven seasons, and then I um, started working here at the arena. So I've had some wonderful experiences along the way. So I've had the bug for quite a long time. What did you learn working on the sports side with baseball that you maybe still use today, if anything? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and, you know, I'll give a shout out to some of my teammates who've also worked in sports and particularly in baseball. Everybody knows that those 81 days are a grind and you have to make sure that you're up for every single 81 games because just because it's your 40, your 44th game or your sixth game of a 10 game homestand, guess what? It's somebody's first time. So I would say uh, the one thing I learned from baseball is that people make a choice to spend their hard earned money with you. And so you have to understand and appreciate exactly where and what that is and understand that just because you're doing this for the umpteenth time, it's somebody's first time. So you need to make sure it's their very best experience, their first experience. And it's memorable because you're making not only memories for that day, but memories for a lifetime. So that's one thing I learned from sports. The other thing I learned from um, baseball in particular is there's no such thing as a bad idea. Yeah, right. And no shortage of Lots ideas. Lots of promo items get you got uh, thrown it. at the wall. Yeah, you got it. You know, it's like we remember uh, T-shirt Tuesday. Everyone's like, "Oh, T-shirt Tuesday! It was a brilliant idea." It was a brilliant idea, but the origination of that idea was because there was no retailer in the marketplace where you could buy a Royals T-shirt because we were just that bad at the time. So. <laughs> If you give away free t-shirts, it does increase the propensity of people to wear your logo in the marketplace and show and display their fandom. So. So you spent some time there, you know, with, with both, you know, community relations and working kind of from the, from the charity side of things. Mm -hmm. So what was the, what was kind of your day-to-day role with the team? Sure. So I did um, community relations, player relations, and also uh, some special markets, which is comical or at least amusing now. I'm certainly um, understanding the impact of uh, Roberto Clemente having had the opportunity to tour um, Hank Aaron and his wife, Billy, uh, through Kansas City and make the connection certainly with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Kansas City certainly has a rich history in jazz and baseball as well. But I guess um, what I learned the most is that when you're winning, it certainly amplifies the best in you. When you're losing, it certainly is the truest part of you, right? So we are, I'm fortunate now. Um, I'm, I also appreciate the fact that Zach Granke is still in the league because he makes me feel young because he was a player when I was still at the ballpark. So when he leaves I think he's in Houston now when he leaves the Astros. I won't have any current players that are still uh, in the league, but certainly um, had an opportunity to make some fantastic connections and understand the power of a major league brand. What was the transition then like for you from sports to the arena side of things? How did, how did that happen? Um, so after I left the Royals in um, 2005, I had the opportunity to work on, um, so in August of 2004, I should go back and say, the vote for the arena Uh, occurred. It was a close vote. And um, we had groundbreaking in June of 2005. So I had an opportunity to work on the groundbreaking when I was doing some communications consulting. And then I was like, oh, no, I won't go over. I won't go over. Absolutely. I'll go over. (laughs) And so in May of 2007, certainly being an avid concert goer as well, I kind of answered my calling, if you will. Yeah. So you get you get there and was it an easy transition? Did a lot of this stuff come naturally or was there was there a, a lot of uh, learning on the go? Um, we were building the car to a certain degree while we were driving down the highway. Yeah, um, sure. Certainly because um, Kansas City had been so starved for such a long time. We opened with a really strong schedule. But at the same time, um, I would say over the years, what I've learned is that you have to continue to reinvent yourself. 
And at the same time, recognizing you have a portion of the population that is coming for their very first time for every single event. Right, right. Right. So you have to make that special. But at the same time, you also need to make sure that you're elevating the experience for someone who has been there on their 25th time or their second time or their fifth time, either one. Um, Being a building that does not have an anchor tenant, we do have a wide open event calendar, which has been beneficial to host some multi-event runs and some back-to-back nights. But at the same time, it's uh, it's an honor and a privilege that you have to take very seriously. So the spirit of entrepreneurialism and innovation has to stick with you in this industry, in particular in the arena and venue business. I think that's an interesting balance that you mentioned where you have to both have some consistency in what you're putting out because you want it to be consistently great for everyone that visits the venue. And there often are times, like you said, that's easy to overlook that there are people that are coming in that have never parked in your parking lot or have never Mm -hmm. seen where the bathrooms are. And I think sometimes we can overlook that thinking, you know, most people have been here before they live in the city or whatever. And sometimes they haven't. And sometimes, you know, whether it's they're not interested or they can't afford it and then they Mm -hmm. save up and go see that one artist that's their favorite one. So you have to be kind of consistent in putting off like that great positivity and that great guest service experience. But then you also have to be constantly working on elevating things to where you don't become, you don't let that consistency become stagnation right? because there are people that are coming back. So, I mean, that's a, that's a tough balance. Like, do you have any sort of tips or advice or approach that you take to try to, you know, ride that line? You know, and I think, I think it ebbs and flows. Um, Paul, to be honest with you, because certainly we're not always, while we'd like to think we're always at our A plus 100% best every single night. I think that um, one thing that I try to reflect on, especially when there's a show that may have a lower attendance number or may not meet our attendance projections, that it's just as important to those people to attend that particular show as it is for someone who's going to attend something that sells out in two minutes. So you have to appreciate the purchase process and certainly that it was a choice for people to spend their hard-earned entertainment dollars with you because they could be going to the movies or staying at home. And there's so many alternatives and choices out there. So you have to be mindful of every individual purchasing decision and and trying to make those one-on-one connections is important. Yeah. I think a lot of times we can put emphasis on those bigger shows, but you you make a great point. And even the ones that maybe don't sell as well. The person who bought tickets, they don't know that. They're not sitting there watching the ticket numbers every day like us on the other side are. So they're showing up because they just want to see a good show and they paid money for it. So whether it's, you know, 2,000 people or 20,000 people, you know, you want those people to have a good time, whether you feel like on a ticketing side, it's successful or not. Absolutely. So, you know, 2018 rolls around and you are uh, promoted to uh, VP of Sales and Marketing. You know, you've kind of spent your career in a, you know, in a in a single spot in a lot of ways there in Kansas City. But mm-hmm. you know, a, there's there's a great side of that because you have so many connections. Have you ever been tempted? You know, because I think there's so many of us that kind of get comfortable in our market, and you know what? There's there's sometimes there's a perception that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, you just, you know, you just got comfortable and that's a bad thing. I think, I think it can be a great thing. So I'd love to hear about your, your viewpoint on it. Sure. So I think it depends on who you are and depends on the individual unique situation. So here in my personal situation, I've had lots of opportunities I'm to sure. uh, go to different markets and certainly um, have evaluated my personal situation and decided to stay here. I'm not saying that's 
certainly a permanent situation, but I encourage people to certainly, um, while we take, a, we have a tendency, it's human nature to look from the outside and say, oh, well, certainly things must be going, you know, there's always some aside that people don't know, right? And sometimes the grass is greener. And sometimes we've seen that boomerang come right around and people, oh, yes. you're back. And here you are. <laughs> so, you know, we, you know, I encourage people to certainly pursue their own dreams, look at their own risk, and most importantly, um, develop what I call a kitchen cabinet, right? So the people who are going to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, regardless of whether or not you want to hear it to help you make your decision. And certainly, you know, trust your gut, whether you have that close cabinet of friends and then to, you know, take a moment to pause and really evaluate what's important to me uh, or what's important to you as an individual before you make a jump. And also realize that just because you make a jump, it's not always permanent and you can morph. You can also, you know, evolve your current position where, yes, you may be with the same organization, but, you know, nothing is the testimony of the past 18 months by reinvention and refiguring out what are we doing here? What do I need to do today? And what am I going to do moving forward? And also, what skills do I need? So a lot of times there's an assumption that you're not honing your skills. Your job can be just as rewarding. The opportunity can be the same or different, but it may not look that way from the outside. So in Kansas City here, certainly being part of a um, international organization, with headquarters in Los Angeles, we've had a lot of wonderful opportunities in Los Angeles across, you know, across America, certainly at the O2 and others. Recognizing your place is just important. You know, it's, it's things that are not important at all in different parts of the country are massively important here in Kansas City. So um, I can tell you certainly after a big win at Arrowhead or a not so big win at Arrowhead, sometimes my phone does ring from parts of the country. And it's just an opportunity for us to kind of bridge that gap and come together. Certainly sports and music are the things that unite us all. It's it's so important that, you know, you kind of, I love that kitchen cabinet idea, right? That you do what's right for you. And, uh, you know, so you're there and you, you, know, you got the, the, the big promotion in, in 2018. Things are cruising well. You're hitting big year over year increases. Everything's going well. And then the pandemic hits. What was that? What has the uh, the past 18 months been like? for you and and the arena there in Kansas City? Sure. So I think that, you know, just like everyone else in our industry, it's been tough, but it's also been filled with a lot of blessings and a lot of silver linings, right? So part of it is having the self-awareness to understand your place. And what I mean by your place is your physical place, not necessarily your stature in place, um, but really more of a pause, an intentional pause that you did not necessarily create and that none of us, as Paul mentioned before, none of us would ever have chosen to have a pandemic. But I remember back in um, 2020, if we just go back even before the pandemic, I remember getting very, very sick right before the Grammys. And if anybody remembers Grammy weekend, that was the, uh, the weekend that Kobe passed on that Sunday. Um, so it certainly was a different January, 2020. Then we reemerge and we had a little, uh, Super Bowl, I believe, parade. Um, something like that in Kansas City. Something I heard, like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> a little win of some, a big game, right? Because we yeah. don't ever say it. It's a big game. There was a big game where you eat lots of uh, <laughs> chips and salsa and queso. Um, so we did that. Then we had Post Malone. And then you're hearing whisperings and rumblings that there might be this thing. And then you had no idea how big this thing could be when COVID hit. 
Um, I remember we had the first night of the Big 12 Men's Basketball Championship and God bless Rudy in Utah because I feel like the world was not taking it seriously until he contracted COVID. And it was like, oh boy, this is the deal, right? Yep. The day the world shut down. And I remember watching people just deal with it differently. And what I mean by that is some people were like, hey, take a couple of weeks off. We'll be back. And some of us were like, hmm, this is not looking good for the home team or for any team. Right, right, right. And then watching people continue, and it it really is just goes back to coping mechanisms and how you deal with change. Some people are like, oh, we'll be back in June. Oh boy, we'll be back in July. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, or we won't be. And I certainly think there's an element of optimism in that, which is great and certainly needed, but people really need a dose of realism. Uh, During COVID, I became the, um, God bless teachers. That's a whole nother discussion. Oh, Oh yeah. Homeschooling two kindergartners. I can't even imagine was a special experience. And so I am just eternally grateful for every educator who pours into the lives of children, because that is not necessarily my talent and I don't have that patience. (laughs) Um, But certainly it was a wonderful opportunity for us as a family. Like I said, I don't know that my husband ever would have come off the road because that's just kind of what you did back then. Right. In terms of spending deliberate time with our kids. Um, There was no babysitter. There was no nanny. We missed out on grandparents time, but we certainly did a lot of drive-bys and um, lots of waves, lots of um, innovation that came out of COVID, certainly Zoom calls and podcasts and just like the ones we're on right now. But, you know, it's like you got to figure out a way to reinvent yourself and and figure out what is your true motivation. So there's an opportunity for reflection there, too, and be like, you know what, what's really important to me? In 2021, you were named one of the top 50 leaders in entertainment by the National Diversity Leadership Institute. And I know from, you know, some of the conversations that we had through some of the tough times during the pandemic, you know, where I I leaned on on you for some expertise. Uh, You know, this is the uh, diversity and leadership is something that's very important to you personally. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you would you would speak to that for a moment. Sure. You know, I think that. It is so important for us to have deliberate conversations about things we may or may not be familiar with and also understand that people bring to a situation, whether it's the workplace or just general life as a sum total of their experiences. So if someone has a different experiences, whether it's based on their nationality, their upbringing, their culture, it doesn't make it good or bad. It just makes it different. And as a marketer, it is, it's incumbent upon us to figure out, okay, how am I going to reach people where they are to persuade them to do, uh, to make a purchasing decision or to do whatever we need them to do. There are some experts on out there in terms of um, diversity, certainly equity and inclusion. But when we work in an industry where there's this tie, this emotional tie that ties us all together, that binds us. Um, It's incumbent upon us all to make sure that we are implementing policies and procedures that treat everyone uh, with fairness and certainly that level of respect and hospitality, Paul, that we were referencing earlier. And also recognizing that differences um, are what makes the world beautiful and interesting. Not, I mean, if everything was beige, and everyone wore khakis, we wouldn't have fashion week. So there are, you know, there's beauty in differences. And, you know, Utah is not going to be the same as Virginia, but they're just as equally beautiful. I mean, I would probably say that, you know, people would compare Kansas City and the coast if you're in LA. And it's like, yeah, the ocean is, I'm not sure that we can compete. But we also don't have earthquakes. (laughs) 
So there's that. <laughs> yeah. you know, but when I bring that back to, you know, diversity and inclusion, it's understanding that, you know, there's different types of people of Spanish descent. There are different types of people with different life experiences and it doesn't make them good or bad. It just makes it interesting. So we have to step outside of ourselves. It does take us something and figure out, okay, yeah, what do we know? What do we not know? And how are we going to get better to make a richer life? Because I'll tell you one thing, and now I feel old and I'm going to say this, kids have no idea because it's, and it's not a disrespectful thing in terms of they don't see color. They are more united in experiences through technology, right? So they know and under, they had, I find, I found just in conversations with my own children and certainly other children that I'm exposed to, that they have a much better understanding of race differences in socioeconomics um, because they've never known it to not be that way. When you look at the calendar and you say, okay, we had slavery for this amount of time. We had segregation really up until the 80s. You know, it's not that long in America's history of over 400 years where there's been candid opportunities to have discussions around race. And, you know, it's, it's long overdue. I think we all know and understand that, but diversity is bigger than just racial. It is, you know, certainly um, gender diversity. There's so many elements to it, but at the end of the day, it's like, okay, isn't it easier for us to be voracious learners and learn more about each other so that we can have a greater understanding and either work towards a common goal or certainly make a better, more pleasant life for all of us? I love that. And you're, you're right. I do think it would be easier, right? If we have more people that kind of came around to that viewpoint. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned your, your boys a couple of times, uh, Tatum and Beckham. Yes. Uh, right. So you have twins. Yes. I have boy, girl, uh, twins. We are Tatum is a dancing machine. She is a competitive dancer. I get to live out all of my Barbie doll dreams, which I'm excited about. <laughs> so it's like, yes, you want to put on eyelashes? Let's go. Let's put on some makeup. I realize you're only in second grade, but we're going to do this as long as we can. But she's great. Certainly she has a voracious appetite for math in second grade. Then her brother, Beckham, is the avid sports fan, baseball, uh, soccer, uh, basketball. Certainly uh, it doesn't hurt when your dad um, is the founder of a sports technology company that is based upon basketball. So we have a lot of basketball in our lives and a lot of um, sports in our lives, but certainly have a lovely balance of uh, academics as well and a voracious love of laughter. So we are just very grateful again for educators and being able to send them somewhere during the day where they can learn. And then during COVID last year at school, we were fortunate that they have very small class sizes, but we had them together. Let's just say that was a lot of togetherness when you're in the same classroom. Sure. Sure. We're back in separate classrooms and certainly uh, we're staying busy and trying to make sure that we raise good little humans at the end of the day. It's, you know, our bar is very high. Can you just be a good human? Just be a good human. That's all I'm asking. Right. That's all I'm asking. I don't care you what just, you want to do when you grow up. Just be a good person. <laughs> can you just be a good person? We're going to call that a W. So, yeah. well, you know, it's all about the W's today and and, and count the small W's. And, and Shani, I know you're, you're very busy right now, as we all are. But I, I, you, I want you to know that you are uh, one of the people. You know, when we were talking about doing our 25th episode mm-hmm. uh, of the podcast and, and Paul and I were talking, you, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. And I've said this behind your back, <laughs> that that when I come away from talking to you, I feel uh, like I'm an idiot. And it's and, and I mean that and I mean that in the way that like I, I talk to you, I'm like, 
wow, she's got she's got it together, and she's just got got you know uh, just so much amazing uh, knowledge of this industry to share. And so I, I just really enjoy you the times that I've gotten to pick kind, your brain. Dave, I appreciate you talking behind my back. That's really kind <laughs> of you to say. Part of it too is just that lens, right? But it's not anything that you don't have either. Like, and that's what I try to encourage people. It's like, everyone has their own stuff. So after you've had a few beverages, you may have a different word for stuff, right? <laughs> um, but everyone has their own unique set of talents and skills. And you have to figure out what your passion is and then figure out how to meet your passion where it is. Again, it's not, you get better from change and conflict, but you also get better when you have self-awareness and figure out, okay, how can I shine? Not what is necessarily the easiest road, but how can I make a contribution? And I think that's the biggest thing is that if you can share a little bit of light, whatever your light happens to be, it's uh, it's important for you to leave that mark with everyone you come in contact with, whether or not that's the security guard who opens the door for you or who you check in with every day, uh, your colleagues across the country. How can I leave this situation better than what I found it? Basic, right? Sounds simple, but it's uh, so important. And I think sometimes people like bonding over drama and that is, does not make things better. You know, I think we've all been around those uh, workplace culture where people are like, oh man, this or that. And it's a nice bonding technique, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you can leave things in a more positive light, it just makes everyone's lives easier. It makes, and we have enough stress that we right. can't control. So let's, let's try to uh, eliminate the stress that we can control and bring a little light to everyone. I mean, Paul, you hit the nail on the head. I think also too, as an extrovert or an introverted ex extrovert, as I may classify myself and others in our industry, because I think there's a lot of closet introverts in our um, industry who may feel like extra, look like extroverts to the, on the outside. But one of my mentors early on told me, Shani, just because you feel like saying it does not mean like people feel like hearing it. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you mean something that comes out of my mouth is not absolutely brilliant and worthwhile? And he was like, you know, it's not necessarily what you're saying. It could be timing, but it's all about what the receiver wants to hear. And as somebody who talks a lot and a lot for a living, there's power in your silence and everything does not deserve a remark or a response. Action is an action. So is inaction. And so is silence. So there's power in your silence too. So I say that out loud, not only for others, but as a constant reminder to myself. I need to remember that more often. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, uh, before we let you go, we want to uh, hit you with the fast five, five quick questions. Just looking for your, your instant response here. So first, okay. have you heard about your, your first concert that you ever went to? What was the first concert you worked? First concert I worked was Elton John in an official capacity. Setting the bar high. <laughs> Setting the bar high. Yes. Yes. On his uh, first, he opened the building here in Kansas City. Nice. How about your favorite concert? Okay. So can I get five? Go. Tina Turner. Um, Tina Turner on her last tour in 2008 is one. Uh, Queen with Adam Lambert. The purest awesome. sound I've ever heard. I was like, nice. are they, is there a track or is yeah, this? It was great. That was, I mean, that was the purest sound I've heard. New Edition, my favorite band, Bobby Brown, BBD of all time, <laughs> celebrating 30 years this year. Yes. Um, I've seen them everywhere. Um, 
if I'm in a hundred mile radius, I'm going to see them, obviously the music of my childhood and then also the music moving forward. I'm going to give a combo Lionel Richie and Celine. I love Lionel Richie. I love the Commodores. I love seventies music. And I'm excited to um, share that with my kid. Um, I feel like disco was only what, five or six years, but we need a reemergence of the disco era. That was some outstanding music. <laughs> it's, it's coming, you know, we're scraping back into the eighties now with all the new music, you know, we'll get yep. back to the seventies. There'll be disco and kids will be wearing bell bottoms again. I think they had a I'm moment waiting. in the nineties where that bubbled back. <laughs> Everything's cyclical. You got yeah. it. And then, you know, too, from a country show, my first Rascal Flat show was amazing, but Dolly Parton was almost spiritual. I was, I love shows, whether it's Garth or Dolly or others, where you watch people connect over generations, uh, yes. George Strait the same way. So obviously, you know, in 14 years, I've seen a lot of shows, but watching people connect has been amazing. So I'm leaving so many people off. It's not even five. But. <laughs> How about your favorite guilty pleasure <laughs> meal? Like your good, your favorite comfort food. Comfort food. Yeah, yeah. Cheese. 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 I mean, <laughs> go wrong. <laughs> it's good for breakfast. It's good for lunch. Uh, it's good for dinner. It's nachos, right? It's a yes, lovely, it's, 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 it can be a lovely, dessert. It can be a dessert. Charcuterie tray, it's an appetizer. So uh, I'm yeah. a big fan of the cheese, uh, all kinds. How about your favorite vacation getaway? Favorite vacation getaway is probably to date either Cayman Islands or Maui. I'm a, um, park it on the beach pool, kind of a gal, make friends with your favorite um, server and get an umbrella and a drink right away. <laughs> Love that. I, I probably would also classify myself as perhaps the world champion pool chair reserver when I'm on vacations. I mean, it's very serious to me. So <laughs> I get up really early to reserve my pool chair. Uh, good to have goals. Last question. What is, what is your theme song? Poison, so BBD. You know, poison. There you go. Easy. There it is. Check the box. That's my walk-up song. Before we let you wrap, uh, any uh, any plugs you want to give for the building or for yourself on social? Sure. You know, uh, not only um, can you find us at T-Mobile Center online via a variety of handles in Kansas City, we just encourage you to come check us out here. Look at our event calendar for sure. We are getting busy. Certainly, there's something for everyone on it. And in terms of personally, you can follow me at Strictly Shani, S T R I C T L Y Shani, S H A N I, on Twitter or Insta. There you go. Well, hey, thank you so much for the time today. We really appreciate you uh, uh, sharing everything with us. I'm going to go count some small W's today. Count them, get them. Small W's all around. Yes. Thanks to everybody for listening to today's episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venue Land is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest Booking and Brand Strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest Research by Dave Rettelberger. 
Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.